everybody, this is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thank everybody that's been spreading the word about the show and hitting me with messages. I really appreciate it. It's been a crazy 2020, and 2021 has proven to be equally as insane. But uh, I hope we're turning a corner here and that the rest of this year can be defined as a time where we came together to help each other bring people together, stop the division that's been happening in our country and get vaccinated and get back to being creative with other musicians, other artists. Uh, Man, I miss playing festivals, playing gigs, but I, I also realize that I'm fortunate. So many restaurants and businesses have closed down and so many have lost their jobs. So hopefully this year we can bring things back I want to give a shout out to Save Our Stages and the Neva Association. So many people worked so hard and the Save Our Stages Act has been passed as part of the COVID-19 relief fund. This is great news for the music community, but it could take many, many weeks, even months for the funding to go through. So meanwhile, you can actually go to SaveOurStages.com and donate to the Neva Emergency Relief Fund as it continues to raise money to assist the venues at the greatest risk of permanently going under as we wait for the grants to be issued. So once again, you can go to SaveOurStages.com to help out. I want to give a shout out to HeadCount.org that also worked really, really hard this year registering voters. Over a million voters registered through HeadCount.org. I want to thank all the people that have worked hard for HeadCount and Andy Bernstein, who runs the organization. You guys have done a great job. I also want to give a shout out to Osiris Media. They helped me put this podcast together and they have a lot of other great content that you can check out at OsirisPod.com. We have a killer show today. I got to catch up with two good friends, Dwayne Betts and Devin Allman. Both great musicians and part of the Allman Betts band. As you probably know, Devin Allman's dad was Greg Allman, and Dwayne Betts' dad is Dickie Betts. And I've watched them throughout their careers making great music. Dwayne Betts was part of the group Dawes and had various different projects, and Devin Allman had various different bands, solo projects, and the Royal Southern Brotherhood. But as they evolved, it just made perfect sense that they would work together and create this band. And when I saw them going out on tour, I think initially it was the Devin Allman project with Dwayne Betts. I got really excited seeing them come together. But then when I heard the Almond Betts band was a thing, I really, really got excited and became a fan instantly. Um, And it's not that they're just carrying the torch for this super historical family, being the Almond Brothers band family, but they're also creating new music and have really put together an amazing band and they're building a repertoire um, of their own music, but also doing, you know, the classic Allman Brothers stuff better than anyone else could. Um, It's not just the family connection. They play, they sing, and they really put on a great show. The Allman Family Revival has been happening for a few years where they invite a bunch of guests. I've been fortunate to be a part of it this past year and hope to do that again. Um, So it was great to talk with them, reconnect, and hear some really cool stories about them growing up on the road, getting to know each other um, on the tour bus. So anyway, I'm excited to get into the show. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors first. All right, they're both great guitarists, singer-songwriters, and the founding members of the Almond Betts Band. I'd like to welcome today's plus ones, Dwayne Betts and Devin Allman. I appreciate you guys taking the time, man. I've been wanting to do this for a while with you guys. And then it's it's interesting because I was saying before we start recording, I've been seeing all the, the memories on Instagram and Facebook of last year's shows that we did together, the Almond Revival. And uh, it was just such an amazing uh, thing to be a part of. Um, I've obviously been a huge fan of the Almond Brothers and of both of you guys um, in your different projects, but to be a part of that was really special for me. And in the process, got to see kind of the inside of what the Almond Betts band is, you know, and what it's becoming, and also meet a lot of your bandmates who are all like amazing too. And uh, 
you guys are adding so much to this history and I, I, I don't I don't want that to take away from what you guys are developing in your own right but it really was special to me and I've also I've been like a huge cheerleader for this project because like I love both you guys and gotten to know both of you a little bit outside and then when I saw you guys come together I think I literally saw it like on my phone and like did did like the victory <laughs> you know just because I was like you guys coming together is such a special thing um, it's kind of like um, perfect in a way, you know, and there's obviously been all these different twists and turns in your guys' careers and that is built to this point. Um, but uh, it, it seemed perfect, you know what I mean, in a weird way. And uh, watching you guys work together has been a, a treat as well. So anyway, I didn't even plan to do a big intro like that, but... Uh, <laughs> but you did. <laughs> but I did. But it was heartfelt because I got to be a part of that that show and watching it come together, which was really cool. And I also loved that you guys showcase so many other talented people in doing the Almond Revival thing. Um, and um, first, I just want to ask Devin, because initially... In, you know, 2017 was a, a hard time for you, and I know that it culminated um, in this Almond Revival show. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like how that came together, what inspired that. No, yeah, that's it's a pretty cool um, story, actually. Um, you know, my mom passed about four months before my dad, and I, I took a couple months off to kind of regroup and. Um, and then I kind of got back out there and I was only out there a month, I think, and, and dad passed. Right. And I was like, you know what, you know, this, wow. Okay. I'm going to take the rest of the year off. So essentially I took the rest of that year off and, um, you know, kind of coming into the fall after, you know, six months of, you know, the grieving process and dealing with, you know, all the things you have to deal with. Um, I really miss playing. Right. So I called my agent and I said, Hey, I want to have like a, you know, a big comeback show. And, and we had talked about starting a, a run, uh, in Florida. Right. And so long story short, we were looking at the lyric theater in Stewart, Florida. And he goes, you know, why don't you call a couple friends and let's make it a jam. And I was like, man, what a great idea. You know? Uh, so I had a short list. I think it was like Cody and Luther Dickinson and Samantha fish and, and maybe Robert Randolph. Yeah. There's like three or four people. And I said, well, if I invite all four, one of them will come and that'll be fun. We'll have like a special guest to jam with. And they all said yes. So all of a sudden it, it became too big of a happening to, to do at that venue. So he goes, I got an idea. Let me call you back. And he called me back and he said, well, I got the Fillmore in San Francisco. Oh man. Well, that's great venue. We you know, yeah. love that venue. Yeah. And he gives me the date and it's my dad's birthday. Wow. So that wasn't even a planned thing. Never planned ever. Wow. And so it was like, well, wow, it's dad's birthday. I haven't played all year, man. If, if these cats are in, maybe we get some other cats and just turn it into a thing. I had just watched last waltz. Right. which is one of my favorites. And right. I had revisited it and I was like, what if we did something crazy like that and get like 15 guests, yeah. you know, or 10 or whatever it was. And man, that's what happened. And it, it just, it happened. And then it was a four hour show. And I remember going, Oh, please just don't have anything go wrong. You know, like, and I remember getting done with the first one and going over to my manager, Ruben Williams, and I just looked at him and I went, nothing went wrong. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, like there wasn't a flub, you know, a monitor didn't go out, anything. So anyway, beyond that, uh, the Fillmore said, let's do it next year. And then right. it became annual and then it went to multiple cities. And, you know, it's just, it's so, it's so cool to, now it becomes like a family reunion, you know? Right, right. Which is, which is the best feeling to see a bunch of cats that you haven't got to catch up with because everybody's on tour. 
And then you get to show off some new talent like Taz and like Ali Venable. And it's, it's really been a joy. It's a lot of work as you saw. Oh yeah. Um, but it's, it's so worth it. And, and I was going through those memories too and just going like, wow, man, yeah, you know, saying surrender with Robin Zander, you know, man, like, that was epic. I'm glad I got to play on that, even though I was just kind of in the cut, but I was like, woo, I'm going <laughs> to play this with this guy. I mean, it was so legendary. And, uh, but it, like you said, it flowed, and it's not easy. I, you know, I've been MD on on a lot of events where you got to fit in so many people, and but I did do think a you picked the right people uh, who knew how to play with each other, but also you guys have that dynamic that really like, you know, it's like a warm hug being on stage uh, with that band. You know, that that that's music to our ears, man. Because yeah. It's, uh, Everyone that was a part of it, we, we, we have so much love and respect for, for you and, and G love and, you know, everybody that uh, big head Todd, everybody that did it. I mean, we just a lot of respect and love. So, right. Right. I also love uh, the kind of the idea of taking these songs and, and, and letting it, letting it be, you know, kind of live its own life. You know, a lot of like, I, I, I think it was the, uh, what did G love sing one of the nights where it totally flipped it on its head. And I was like, wow, he like made it a G love song. Um, now it's like totally slipping my mind. You don't mind. love me. Yeah. It might've been, you don't love me. But, yeah, and, uh, I think he... and he, I was like, Oh shit, this is like a whole, a whole different vibe. But I, I thought like throughout the night, um, it was just a nice balance of, paying tribute to this amazing songbook and then you guys doing your thing and doing the Almond Betts thing. And uh, I just, I just, I really enjoyed being a part of it. It was one of those gigs where I was like, was out front watching the entire thing, you know, a- as well. So anyway, I appreciate you guys having me. Well, we enjoyed having you, man. I mean, it's always an honor playing with you and looking over and having a good time while we're on stage. We, yeah. we were next to each other. So I got to stand next to you and yeah, have a, yeah. uh, we we were exchanging some smiles and stuff. It was a good time. We, we didn't yeah. have enough guitar players, though, did we? <laughs> yeah, right. Only about, you know, 12 or whatever. But, yeah, Dwayne, I wanted to, to ask you a bit. You are in Sarasota. Are you, are you in Sarasota right now proper? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm down at which, my dad's right now. Which yeah. is where you were born. And, uh, right? Am I right by saying that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I'm a little curious into getting your background in music. Obviously, you know, growing up in a musical household when did you kind of start connecting with the guitar specifically and you know what was your what was your process like i started playing drums actually really early on oh, i don't know how old i was but i i must have been must have been 6 or 7 maybe right. even younger than that but i you know obviously there was guitars around the house and I I just have the memory of of my dad having a, a guitar in my hands and me him moving my hands around and it just being too hard for me and I just nah, this is too hard I don't want to do this and then I got the idea in my head that I wanted to play drums uh. and so he said okay well I'll get you I'll get you a drum set so he went to uh, you know in the 80s you know he had his his solo band that he was just rehearsing around town, you know? Um, so we went to the warehouse down the road and, and put together kind of a makeshift kit of drums that the drummer wasn't using or whatever was laying around, you know, the spare parts. And, uh, that was my first drum kit. And I was really passionate about it. Um, you know, by the time I was 12, 13, I think I had sat in with the band, you know, with, with the, with the brothers, um, obviously there's two drum, two drummers and three once Kenyonas to join the band. But so it's not like you have to hold the whole band up by yourself, you know, <laughs> right, right, um, right. and you know, you're, and you're sitting behind a drum kit. So you, there's a yeah. little more, yeah. um, comfort in that. But, um, but yeah, around 13 was when I kind of started picking up stuff on the guitar. Right. And then I, I kind of really was drawn to it from there on out and just you know listen to you know my you know different records you know constantly trying to learn stuff what records were like in your collection were you were you really influenced by what your dad was listening to or like what what were some of the first things that a little bit of everything yeah. i mean later on by the time i was 13 14 15 i was listening to a lot of different stuff 
you know, cause there was the stuff like I was listening to blues, you know, my dad was hipping me. Obviously I, I, I was in the Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and some of the older, you know, the Kings and, and I was hip on that. I was started listening to jazz around maybe not 13, but you know, 16, 15, you know, I was getting into John Coltrane and, and Miles Davis and stuff, but, but I was also listening to, and I think, you know, Devin obviously as well, we were both into stuff of the times like Nirvana and I loved Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins was oh, yeah. kind of like my teenage voice that like spoke to me because it was aggressive, but it had this vulnerability. Um, you know, it had kind of a cure kind of thing. Like Devin and I both love the cure. So there was kind of like that cure influence, but there was like black Sabbath influence, you know, and before that, you know, I was in the metal a lot, you know? So we, you know, we, any particular metal bands or, or guitarists that, that stick out? I loved Maiden and Metallica and, and Slayer. I saw Slayer a couple times, you know, I mean, I, I still, I mean, obviously those are great bands, you know? So you were like in your later teens when, when guitar became your primary thing? No, I was in my early, I was 13, 14 when I first started like making real progress on it. That's when I really picked it up and said, I want to play guitar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before that I was, I was, no, I was a drummer. I just played drums. I didn't even have a guitar. Then I started playing guitar and probably about 15 was 16 was when I really started. That was when I first sat in with the band and stuff like that. Yeah, So like mid, mid teens, I guess. And at that point, were you spending a lot of time with your dad on the road and stuff like that? Like summers and things like that? By that point I was homeschooled. So I was, I was pretty much out. If they were doing something, I was out, you know, but now they weren't touring 300 or 250, you know, they weren't touring like they were when they were kids, you know? Yeah. But it was all of the spring and summer and some end of the fall, you know. And like we're, you know, I I I always trip out on that because I know a lot of a lot of my friends that grew up, you know, on tour and in that situation. Like, how aware were you at that point? Like, were your friends like, oh my god, or were you in like the kind of your own bubble that you didn't even like know, you know, how unique that lifestyle was and or or your lifestyle at that point? I don't know. It seemed pretty unique, but it seemed like it was just hanging out with the family. Somewhat normal. I think Devin and I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to speak. It just it just seemed like pretty chill. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're, they're doing some shows, you know? Yeah. Hey, you know, you come back on tour and everybody sees each other at the airport and it's like, Hey, you know, or sees each other at the hotel or yeah. And it's like, Hey, how have you been? Did you have a good break? Yeah. yeah. And how was so-and-so, you know, I find that such a, so interesting. You know, I spent uh time with, with Tedeschi trucks band playing bass for probably, I don't know, four or five months. And the, and mm-hmm. Charlie and Sophia, Derek's kids were living on the bus and like hanging. And it was so funny because they just thought they were just like, Oh, when do we like, they just thought it was super boring. <laughs> yeah. Know? No, I loved it. I didn't think it was boring. I loved it. I wouldn't say they, they thought it was all boring, but it was so normal to them. And I'd be like, Oh, look, come on out and check this out. They're, you're, you're like, you know, Red Rocks. And they're like, yeah, Red Rocks is cool. <laughs> My experience was opposite from Dwayne's. Right. I didn't meet my dad till I was like, you know, 16. And I went right, right from living in the suburbs, working at a record store to being on the tour bus and meeting Dwayne and meeting Barry. And I was wow. like, oh, shit. Like, this is you know, my dad is living like this is my dream. Right. <laughs> like, right. You know? And it was uh, it was it was intimidating. I mean, cause everybody was so prolific and everybody was so talented and everybody was so cool. And I was this like awkward teenager from the suburbs, you know? Yeah. So I had to like almost act twice as cool. So I just didn't feel like a, an idiot, you know? Right. <laughs> and thankfully, you know, youth, you know, you can forgive a lot about youth. You know, yeah. I probably, I probably came across as quite a punk ass in the, in the early part, but yeah fact was I was just totally wide eyed at all this that was going on. It wasn't passe to me. Yeah. It was like, Oh my God. You know, I was getting knocked off at Iron Maiden concerts and, and, uh, and Judas Priest concerts when I was 13, 14, you know, alone because my friend's parents thought all metal music was satanic. And my mom knew it was an art form and she was like, you know, go check it out. Did your mom like, 
nurtured your musical explorations as a kid? Like, what was your development into music like? She loved music. She worked for a concert promotion agency in Houston. Okay. And the Allman Brothers came to town and they got lost. And they sent the hot little intern, 20, 19 years old, wow. to go show the band where they're supposed to go. And, of course, my dad was like, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and and so, you know, she was in the thick of it. That was right, you know, during like the Fillmore concerts and everything, like right. the real shit. And uh and so she had a love for music. She, you know, that's why she she played guitar herself. She was actually pretty cool, uh kind of flamenco. She could pull off some crazy kind of cool wow. shit. I did not know but, that. Wow. But a little lady, man, she could like and it was like, what are you doing? Um and so we always had vinyl records playing in the house. And so she was just really, she, she was trying to get a guitar in my hands by age five, you know, to see if I had it or what, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I was always like, man, I don't, I don't want to make music. I just, I want to study it. I want to listen to it. And then I think I was 13 and I was like, okay, I, I saw some idiot kid in the neighborhood play and it was the first time that, because I didn't grow up around this, it was the first time I saw someone play a guitar from like sitting across from me. I had only seen people play guitar on TV and on stage. So this was three feet away. And I was like, oh man, if that loser can do that, I, can, I think I could do this. <laughs> and I went That's home funny. and I told my mom, I was like, I want to play guitar now. And, you know, she flipped out. She's been trying for years to get me to play. So. Right, right. And if you don't mind me asking, like, what was the process of reconnecting or connecting with your dad at that point? How did that go down? You know, it's funny because through, you know, so I was born 72. So they were, you know, they were pretty huge when I was a little, a little boy. But, uh, you know, when I start really getting into music around, you know, well, I got into music early, but um, what happened was MTV. I right. saw I'm No Angel video. Uh, right. And I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm going to write the guy a letter, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's see what happens. And I didn't expect anything. Right. And maybe that's, maybe that's kind of the flow of the universe, you know, that I didn't expect anything. So I was 15. I'm No Angel was a hit on MTV. <clears throat> I literally turned my spiral notebook over from my fucking math homework and wrote, you know, hey, I'm your son. I'm living in Mobile, Alabama. I just saw you on MTV. I like Ozzy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, I wish we still had it because it, 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 was, it, was, it was pretty dumb. Wow. But, it, but, it was, but I think it was sweet and it was, it was genuine. And it was like, if you ever want to meet me or even just talk to me, here's my phone number. And uh, man, I think it was about five days later, I come home from school and uh, I walk in the door and I go upstairs to my room and I hear my mom call me and the tone of her voice was, I knew something was weird. Something was wrong. Like, and I came downstairs and she was just holding the phone with, with his eye and she's like, it's your dad. He's on the phone. Wow. And I was just like, oh, holy shit. Whoa. And... So I took it upstairs and I was like, hello. And he's like, Hey, it's your dad. Wow. I'm like, wow. How are you? <laughs> like, I mean, it's funny. I don't really tell that story very often. So yeah. right now I'm, I'm, I'm having some flashbacks and uh, say, well, so you, so you like music, huh? You, you're playing guitar and, you know, and it just went and it went and it was ended up being a, a two hour conversation and, and nothing awkward. It was right. we laughing our asses off and, and talking about music and movies. And, you know, he goes, oh, I can teach you a chord where you only need one finger. Right. And I'm like, no, you can't. He goes, yeah, trust me. He goes, you got your guitar? I'm like, yeah. He goes, now put your pinky on third fret of the high E. I said, okay. Like, like what yeah. is this? Yeah. It was now hook your thumb around to the third fret of the low. <laughs> it goes, there's your one finger cord. <laughs> nice. Nice. Wow. It was that's cool. great. That's and, great. you know, it ended up being, uh, well, hey, you know, I'd like to meet you face to face. And, you know, why don't you come to one of my concerts? I'm playing Alabama in, a, in like a month. I said, well, we're about to move uh, in two weeks to St. Louis. And, uh, 
So maybe after we get moved in, I don't know. He goes, oh, we're playing St. Louis too. Yeah. And he was opening for 38 special. And by this point, it was uh, just before the bullets fly. It, it was just about to come out. And sure as shit, man, I went to the Fox Theater in St. Louis. I was 16. I drove myself. Yeah. I pulled up in the parking lot. And about 20 minutes later, tour bus pulled in. And off walked my dad. Wow. Yeah. What an incredible story, man. It was wild, man. It was wild. So it was... It was about, I think it ended up being about six months after the phone call to the face-to-face. After that, you guys spent a lot of time together. Yeah, we, we hit it off so good. It was so natural. Um, he said, man, you know, you got a spring break coming up. Why don't I come hang out and camp out in St. Louis and I'll sneak you into all the clubs. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do that. <laughs> and he did. He kept his word. He He stayed for two weeks and got me a room right next to his at the Chase Park Plaza, which is like the, the cool historic St. Louis hotel. And yeah. we went out to Mississippi nights and all those killer old rooms. After that, it was, uh, it was the Allman brothers were, were reuniting to support the, the box set for the 20th anniversary and said, come on tour. Now, did you guys meet during this, this time th- during this tour we're talking about? Yeah. I want to hear about that. <laughs> Well, what were you little rascals doing on that tour? So I, I think I was, I was at that point, I was set. I was a fresh 17, yeah. like a, a few weeks into my 17. And uh, so Dwayne would have been 11 or, or 12. Right. Okay. So yeah, you guys were a little bit. Apart yeah. Yeah. Age. We weren't like quite. Yeah. Quite hitting the clubs yeah. together. No. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I think my dad said something like, Hey, go throw your shit on the bus. And, uh, I think Dickie's son's on there. You know, why don't you go say hello? And I was yeah. like, all right, you know, I kind of get on the bus and, and Dwayne's there. And, and I've told the story before, but it's, it's so fun. He's got a walk man yeah. with the headphones on. And, uh, and I go, wow, you must be Dickie's son. And he just looks at me. Awkward silence. Yeah. And I go, what are you listening to? I was like trying to make conversation. Yeah. And he goes, and he pulls the headphone off. He goes, what? And I go, well, what are you listening to, man? He goes, Testament. Nice. And then he puts his earbud back on. <laughs> and I can hear yeah. the thrash, the thrash metal because it's on full bore. Yeah, <laughs> and I already like I liked Maiden and Anthrax yeah. and Slayer and Metallica and like yeah. you know and of course the thing that, that Dwayne and I have in common is is I also liked The Cure and Ray Charles and Coltrane and Hendrix and you yeah, know yeah. so it wasn't just we were metalheads it's just that you know at that age it really spoke to us and I just remember thinking like yeah I like this kid he's he's cool yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That is really cool. And then as the years would go by, you know, we, we are connected to this family and we got tighter and tighter through the years. But, of you know, at that, at that moment in time, Barry and I were trying to, you know, sneak beers and, and find shit. Of course. Of course. <laughs> well, there's pro- it was probably a good uh, forum for that being on the Allman Brothers tour. It did not suck. <laughs> we'll be right back after this short break. So you guys are hanging on tour. This is probably like the late 80s at this point, early 90s. That tour was 89, 90. Yeah. Warren is just in the band now. Brand new. Yep. Interesting. 29 years old. Wow. Really? Was he 29? I believe so. I think he's got 12 years. He's got 12 years on me. So he was 29. I think Alan was about the same age. Crazy. How did you guys get to know Alan? pretty well yeah yeah very well yeah yeah i i got really tight with alan because uh after the tour my dad bought a house in nashville and woody was living in nashville yeah so we we saw woody a lot and we were tight man i i really loved him 
I didn't get to know him that well, but we one uh, one night actually this was when we I first linked up with Derek. It was ninety nine, so it's, it was later. But he was in Nashville, and uh, Soul Live and Derek Trucks Band played the Exit In. And at the, on the encore, it was like all of Soul Live, Derek Trucks Band, Woody came on stage. I think O'Teal was in town. Susan sat in. It was like right when they started dating. So I have some pictures from that night, actually. I'll text them to you. It's it's classic. But he was one of those guys that I really wish I had gotten to know him. Yeah, he was just the sweetest guy and the and the funniest guy. Literally, like the memories we have of him as kids, like just his personality and his jokes he would tell were just over the top, hilarious guy, you know? Super sharp, really sharp, quick on the draw with, with the, the wit, like, like Robin Williams level. Really? In his own way. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. I, mean, I, I remember having to go back to my bunk on the bus because my, my side hurt. Right. Hurt. <laughs> Literally like unbelievable. Wow. Any specific memories from being on tour as a kid that you can share like off the top of your head? Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, I don't know. Some of them probably better to forget about, but (laughs) (laughs) no. uh, Well, I'll tell this one because it's kind of harmless. I've told it to Devin. I don't think he would mind, but we were on the Horde Festival in 1994 and I had one of my best friends who comes from a really you know, kind of working class families from Cincinnati, moved down to Florida and, you know, wasn't traveling around the, the, the globe. And, you know, it just, he was really, really, really happy and, and couldn't believe that my dad asked him to come out on the road with us and that, you know, cause he was my friend and my dad liked him a lot. And uh, so he was on our bus. And so he was just, you know, he got to go to Woodstock 94 and got to, you know, he was out for a couple of weeks. We snuck in to see the Rolling Stones encore at Giant Stadium. We got to the hotel and there was something going on at Giant Stadium. They're like, oh yeah, the Rolling Stones are playing. So we we went over there and like jumped some fences and crossed the highway and, you know, just thinking maybe we can hear the the last couple songs from out outside of the stadium. Lo and behold, we get there and people are leaving and we walked right in through the gate and watched the whole three song encore from the 50 yard line. It was like amazing. But wow. um, anyway, during that week, there was a a uh, there was a party that on an off day of, you know, all of the people on the Horde Festival, Blues Traveler and Big Head Todd, whoever was on it, that 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 leg of the tour. And there was um, there was a lobster fest you know a lobster party you know in maine yeah, we were in yeah. maine uh so we're at this guy's house and in the basement there was um people listening to music and having some drinks and and there was these these tanks and people with balloons like sucking the air and i was like well what is that <laughs> so, oh, wow. so i'm like they're like oh man it's it's uh you'll you know it it's uh it's nitrous you know and and uh so me and my friend tried it and uh and Greg was right there with us. Greg, <laughs> it was me, it was me and my friend and Greg literally like sitting on a couch in this dude's like like cellar. And it was wow. I mean it was fun. It was it was a good a good time, you know. I mean, I was probably I don't know, I was probably 17 at the time, right, you know. Right. I wasn't like a little kid or anything. But um I'll just never forget that. That was a really funny. That is funny. Whoever's house that was, I bet you that's the story they'll tell for like they tell like every time anyone comes over. <laughs> you never guess who was on my couch, man. <laughs> that's cool. That's I'm cool. sure Woody and Warren were there. I don't I yeah. know my dad wasn't there. My dad yeah. my dad was wasn't there, but it's it's funny cuz now that we're like digging into that, I mean, I could I could really write a book about just that one tour, but Yeah. There was crazy times. Dude, we were in a circle smoking a joint with Julia Roberts at one point at, at the Greek in L.A., which was, you know, at the time was like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was some really funny Allen stories. Um, my favorite story at that time was we were in Boston. It was after the show. You know, the bus was parked on the side of the street. Everybody had the munchies. And Warren says, man, come on, let's let's go to 7-Eleven. We'll get some some donuts and shit, you know? And 
me and Warren and Alan go into the 7-Eleven. And on the way, we probably passed seven or eight homeless people uh, on the streets. And uh, we went in there and got kind of our stuff. And the guy running the joint, running the 7-Eleven, was, was grabbing the tray of, of bagels and donuts and bread and all that and dumping them into a, a garbage bag. And Warren said, what are you doing? There's homeless people right outside. Why, why are you throwing that away? And he's like, uh, you know, whatever. And Warren said, no, give me that. Yeah. And on the way back to the bus, we handed out. And I just was like, wow, it just really, it really touched me. I remember going like, wow, you know, I mean, the, the whole rock and roll thing is sexy and, and exotic and cool. But like, these are some really good men. You yeah. know, these are really yeah. good guys. And it just always stuck with me. Wow, yeah, uh, that's that a good, a good one. one. That is a good but there's one. some cool. there's some crazy ones too. I mean, there's <laughs> Alan Woody used to wear these pink sweatpants tucked into cowboy boots. Wow, hot pink sweatpants. Yeah, <laughs> tucked into the cowboy yeah. boots. And we're on the bus, and Warren's outside the bus, kind of talking to a couple fans, and one's belligerent and chest bumping him that he's never going to be as good as Dwayne Allman. Says wow. something like. Yeah, you ain't no Dwayne Allman. He's drunk off his ass. Yeah, yeah. And Alan Woody sticks his head out the bus, and he said, hey, man, uh, and I can't do the best Alan, but don't let these Richard Simmons-looking pants fool you. I'm going to come down there and kick the shit out of you if you don't get off my boy. But I I died laughing. I'm on the bus losing my shit because he was just – he was so funny. But anyway – yeah, I mean, there's that could that's a five hour show. Yeah, 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 I was just thinking, yeah, we could do a whole show on Alan. Yeah, we should come back and do multiple volumes of this. This is great. This is great. Uh, but I want to get into some Almond Betts stuff because I've been listening to the albums um, this past week. I mean, I'd heard various tracks, but it was fun digging in and and hearing it. First of all, like the the songwriting. It ha- I mean, I've I've been listening to you guys and very. I know you know. Dwayne spent time on the road with Dawes, and I've been looking at all your different projects. I mean, obviously, Devin, you and I have crossed paths over the years with Royal Royal Southern Brotherhood. Um, I know Honey Tribe was your project for a long time, and then uh, the Devin Allman project, which I also want to talk about that a little bit and how that evolved, kind of evolved essentially into what became yeah. um, Allman Betts. But first, as far as the records, um, I know you guys went down to Muscle Shoals recorded these songs to tape uh no pro tools right no computers zero zero computer and i can really hear that um in these records and not not just not just in the sound quality it's super warm and vibey but also um just that you guys are playing together in a room and you can feel that and uh not many records these days are being made that way. There's still great rock and roll being made, but there's something about what you guys are doing. Um, and you guys are pushing it forward, but you guys are, there's something about guys that play together all the time, playing in the room together, even if it's new music, um, that inspires these, the, the performance in a different way. You're finding your parts together. You know what I mean? I find that so many recordings nowadays, people are like throwing so many things at the wall and then focusing on the editing to put the song where it needs to be. So I wanted you guys to talk about that process. Um, Obviously, both of your fathers had made records like that, you know, in the past. But I wanted to talk about a little bit like how that decision was made and and, and why Muscle Shoals. You know, when when we first kind of joined forces to, to, to go on tour together. Um, you know, we didn't have the band yet. It was, it was, you know, like you were saying, the Devin Allman project was the, the, the band and, and Dwayne's band and his EP of material. Um, he was opening the shows and then joining up, you know, halfway through the show and finishing the show with us. But once we got that tour, like under our belt and we got a rhythm with it, we were like, you want to try and write some songs because, how cool would that be if it worked? We didn't know if it would work. But when we realized it worked, the first song we wrote together is the final song on Down to the River album, and that's called Long Gone. Then we wrote a couple others, and as, as soon as we had, it was like, okay, now there, there's an identity for what, what we're doing here. 
I just immediately thought, man, get get this band in a, in a room live to tape, like, and then why not? I mean, Muscle Shoals would be great. I had toured the studio a few few years earlier and kind of put it in my back pocket that I would love to do a record there in the old way, you know, so that it felt like what, what you're saying it, it feels like. And um, the music dictated what the process should be. Well, I wanted to ask you, it's a, it's a, a two pronged question. Uh, the a little bit about the writing process too, of like how, you know, how you guys write together. Is it like one guy comes with a riff and the other one has a lyrical idea or is it kind of all different ways? It's kind of all, di all different ways, yeah. you know, you know, Devin and, and myself and, and our good friend Stahl Vaughn, he, he, uh, was, he co-wrote a lot of it with us. Um, you know, we all just kind of bring something to the table and on different songs, it might be one guy brings, brings the melody or the riff and the other guy brings the, has some words or something. But, um, I mean, we kind of, we kind of just got into a really good rhythm with it. And the first two records were basically done the same way with the same approach of just capturing live performances from, from, from a band in or in the room, you know, getting a feel for the room and, and just having uh Matt Ross Spang there to just yeah. tell us if, if it was feeling good or where we needed to go with it. That's kind of what you get. What you see is what you get. I mean, it's not really that easy to do. I mean, you got to have a good band to do it, you know? Of course, of course. Were you guys road testing the songs? I mean, not, I guess not on the first album, but with the second album, did you guys play? A few, yeah. a few. We didn't want to road test all of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Both actually. So before we were even really a band, we, we played like the song all night and we right. played uh, melodies or memories yeah. Uh, and then um, on the first tour for the first album, after four months or whatever, we started to play Magnolia Road and then we, we debuted Airboats and Cocaine like eight months before the record came out. Yeah. But and I had been playing Autumn Breeze in my my set when I was opening for Devin uh, in 2018 yeah. before the we even put the Almond Beds band together. I was playing Autumn Breeze because that was a song that I played in a band I was in, in my, uh, my early twenties. Uh, and, and my, my good friend, Chris Williams wrote that song. He passed away. And that was that, that was the, the end of, of that band was when he, with his passing. Right. But, yeah. um, right. but when I was playing it, Devin and, and the rest of the band for that matter, everybody thought that it had that spirit, you know, that, that, um, would be great for, for, for what we were doing. Um, and, right. it, and so that's that's kind of a, a fun side note. I've been loving hearing you sing, uh, Dwayne, by the way. I mean, I love Devin. I love both of you guys. But but uh, I hadn't really heard you sing much until the last couple of years. And I just like think your voice is is. Great. Getting better. <laughs> well, no, it's, but it, it just has like such a unique character. I mean, I can hear your authentic dad. quality. Authentic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting to, words in your mouth. Put, wait, no, it is. Uh, and uh, what's the what's the word I'm actually thinking of though? It's like it's like got a you know I, I, it's character. It has character and um a, and it has soul to it, and it's got a, a unique thing. And I love how you guys are blending together. And how the different songs have, you know, you know, each of you guys taking turns on the lead vocal. Thank you, man. Thank you. Are you guys generally uh, writing, you know, is who the person who's singing writing the lyrics or is it kind of like you sound better on this one or you sound good on this one? It was different every time. But but I got to say, kind of going back a little to the to the writing process, Dwayne's a really good starter and I happen to be a good finisher. So when he goes, oh, I got a riff and a verse, I can be like, well, here's a catchy chorus and here's a title and here's an arrangement. Like, you know, we really, we really kind of fill in each other's things really well. And, you know, we're lucky with that. Yeah, that, that's very true. That's very true. That's really interesting. That's cool. I, th I that, that, that is a really important point, I think, in writing, because sometimes you put two great write writers together that do the same thing and they're going to do this and they're not going to necessarily help each other's process. And that's where Stahl Vaughn has been really great. But also Dwayne and I really 
out of the gate, I have to say, um, we really cheerlead each other's stuff. Right. And we're also, there's no ego there to where if I'm like, oh, Dwayne, that, that ain't, that ain't cutting it. Or yeah. he might say it to me. And, okay, cool. Well, here's this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't get our feelings hurt or get caught up on things. I mean, I think a really cool thing with our mutual respect too is, is we want to, we want to dazzle the other guy. Like yeah. he wants to show me something and have me go, yeah. Right. And vice, and vice versa. And it's such a sweet, I've never really had that working relationship with anyone, you know, yeah. where you can just drop your bullshit, you know, no ego. I don't care if I end up having 25% of the song or 75, it let's make the best song we can make, you know? And, and, uh, I, I think that pretty much we have some songs that are written that are like Dwayne. It's a, that's a Dwayne story. Yeah. He's got to tell it. Right. Or that's a, that's a Devin story and he's got to tell it. And then there's a few that are kind of like could go either way. And we've been really good about, ah, man, you sing that one or, Hey man, you know, you do better on that one. You know, it's, it's really been amazingly effortless now now watch the next four records be pulling <laughs> yeah yeah it's been effortless but it you know it's like that could change <laughs> well I, what i was gonna say is and i don't know that this is right but it also could be the timing you know what i mean that you guys have both been through a lot of projects to, and you guys have you guys are mature as writers mature as performers and for the almond bets band to form at this time was important, you know, on a lot of levels, you know what I mean? For you guys, for the community, um, for the, for the fans. That's why I kind of did that, that, that victory arms when I, when I found out that it was becoming a real thing. Cause I saw you guys were starting to work together and I was like, oh man, that would be cool if that becomes something. And as a result, you know, it's done amazing i mean you guys are playing theaters you guys are selling out shows uh did you see i mean obviously everyone hopes for that trajectory have you guys been surprised by um how things have gone and what and all of like the accolades that have followed yeah it's it was kind of like you know that it would have been nice to get there in three or four years and it, it came pretty quick so a little surprised but really delighted just like delighted that everybody's on board and and supportive and you know, and Diggs, you know, I, lo I love seeing the people, you know, they're going to hear Blue Sky if we play or, or they're going to hear maybe Midnight Rider. But to see them singing Airboats and Cocaine and like and mean it, yeah. it's, it's just like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's right. everything. Right. Right. Yeah, man. It's been cool to get the second record under our belts. And now we have two records and we'll have a third one, you know, at some point in the not too distant future. You know, I mean, it feels really good. It's a, it's a really big step to get that second record. And I mean, it's a, it's a lengthy record too. I mean, there's 13 yeah. songs on there. So, so now when we go out and play and we formulate our sets and we, we just have a, a deeper bag to pull from and it's really, it really feels good to, to um, decide what we want to play and, 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 you know, not even have to play. I mean, if we didn't want to play any covers, we could go out there and not cover anybody. Right. You know, right. And, and still do it and still do a lengthy show. So that feels really good. I also feel like you guys, you know, one of the things about the Allman Brothers band was they just had, I mean, it was just such an incredible, I mean, all, the musicianship is what put it over the top, right? But the songs, you can't deny the songs. And the fact that you guys can interchange your songs and then put those songs in, and it flows like it's meant to be in a certain way, but you guys are totally bringing your own thing, um, is, is also the other, is, is the other reason, uh, why it makes me, so excited because I feel like this certain legacy is going to live on, but it's not forced in any sort of way. You know what I mean? It's like super, it's real. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, I mean, I feel the spirit, you, you know? know, we're outdoors playing and, and, and it, you know, it reminds me of when I was 16 hanging out at, at a brother's show, you know, right. it went but I'm on stage playing Magnolia road or, or right. one of our, or Savannah's dream, you know, and we're in the middle of a long jam or something. And, and uh, and I can look out and see like the like we played a drive-in gig in New Hampshire and all these cars are out there, but they had 
these festival lights on the trees in the background and it, it, they really did it up nicely. You know, it looked like kind of a festival thing going on. And I was like, wow, man, we're like in the middle of a pandemic, but I still feel that spirit, you know, that I felt when I was a kid on the road, you know, you know, we're making people feel good. And, and, and that's what music is about and playing live music for people, you know, that's huge. That's huge. Magnolia Road's getting a lot of play, right? It's getting radio play. That's from and that's from the new record. And I'm I'm, yeah, actually, yeah. I'm actually just noticing that it's got like tons of plays already. It looks like uh, it's getting added on a lot of playlists and radio. Yeah, it was in the top ten on the uh, Americana charts for for a while. Or in the top twenty. It was on the top twenty for like three months or something. But it that's got huge. in the top ten for a while. So that's pretty cool. And uh, are you guys already writing a little bit for the for the third album? I can't believe you're already we're already saying third album and the band formed really in 2018, right? So you guys, it's like rec- record every year. Well, that's you know, I, I, I guess you know for a, a few reasons. I mean, one, um, you know, we're in our 40s, so we're not we're not 25, so we you know we want to leave a body of work for sure. And I mean, our heroes did a record a year. Yeah. You know, they, they drop it in the spring, they tour through the fall, they take the cold months off and they do it right again, you know, repeat, yeah. repeat, repeat. Yeah. That feels good to me, man. You know, and, and we're just having so much fun playing together, man. These guys, everyone in the band, Statula on slide. Yeah. He's a beast. Beast. Killer. Yeah. He's yeah. for real, man. He's yeah. A, he's, he, He's like the secret weapon, y'all. Don't let his good out. looks fool you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and our Scott Bryan, who is just like kind of the 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 silent MVP that kind of glues it all together. And I mean, I can't say enough about John Lum, who, you know, was just a really good drummer when I first jammed with him three and a half years ago and has become a world-class drummer that pushes this machine. And, and Oakley's just, you know... I mean, Jesus, man. Yeah. I mean, that guy can play that bass. Nobody plays a bass like an Oakley. Was that an obvious choice, too, when you guys came together? It was obvious because of the friendship and because that style of bass playing was going to be the right style of bass playing for, for this music. Right. And, and, the, and the friendship vibe, I mean, that and the family vibe goes so deep. So, But, I mean, it wasn't a have to, yeah. but it was, it was a really strong want to. Yeah, like we really wanted him in this band. So, and then John Ginty, um, you know, to 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 score John was. Oh yeah, I love I mean, Ginty because we love thought we were guy. gonna have Peter Levin for a while, and we love yeah. Peter. And you know, I also love Pete. Those are like two of my like old school homies right there. Peter was just like, man, you know, I just I just don't want to be tied to a tour. I want to kind of go and do whatever I want whenever I want. And I go, man, we're, you know, we're we're sad, but hey, you know, go go. Do, do your thing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I thought of John Ganty and I, you know, I go back a long ways with John and I just called him up out of a clear blue. I hadn't talked to him in years. And I said, who are you playing for right now? Yeah. And he said, Oh man, I'm in the Dixie chicks. And I'm like, Oh, well, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I go, yeah, well, we, we don't have a jet. He goes, well, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, have you heard of the band? Or he goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. I go, well, I mean, we're not the Dixie Chicks. We, you know, yeah, we don't have a jet. We don't have, you know, checkbooks that big, you know, whatever. And he goes, no, man, I think I'd rather be in that band. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I hear that. So don't get me wrong. Like, totally, you know, had a lot of fun with them. But, you know, this this is my music. And he goes, yeah. let me, you know, let me figure out a way. And they were super supportive. They knew it was in his heart. And I mean, he's oh, yeah. it's a perfect match. Perfect match. He's yeah, brother. And he yeah, just- we're so stoked to have him. And I, I, I love playing with him and, and just bouncing stuff off of him. And he he's has huge ears and yeah. he adds a lot. Well, you guys have assembled uh, a super band. Um, and I hope that next year. Uh, we can do the almond. I can hang out with you guys and and play some music for the revival or whatever. Uh, we'll have you up. fly in with a jetpack, like with uh, <laughs> yeah. like like uh, Howard like... Stern did at the VMAs <laughs> that year, where you come in from the top of yeah. the stage in your underwear. Nice, <laughs> nice. But like Boba Fett meets uh, meets uh, yeah. Howard Stern. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, man, I'm just so proud of what you guys are doing. Uh, excited to hear the new music that will come. And I appreciate you guys being on the show and also, oh, man, just, thank you so much, you know, having me on gigs and stuff. Hey man, we, we love you and, and we can't wait to, to do that whole thing again too, man. So absolutely. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully next year is a little, a little different. You yeah. Know? It'll be a little bit easier, but, uh, meanwhile, Everybody go check out the new album, Bless Your Heart, that came out in August. And uh, check out almondbetsband.com for anything else that uh, you need to find out. And much love to both of y'all and the families. Hope we get to hang soon, man. Awesome. Thank you, Kraz. I want to thank Devin and Dwayne for being on the show. So cool to talk with them and hear their stories. Uh, Before we go, I want to play a song off of their last album, Bless Your Heart. This one is called Magnolia Road.
Eric Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.